morning. I'm Charles DeWitt. Great to be with you again. I was here back in middle of June, and uh, it's a joy to be with you again. Uh, let's pray, then let's read the Bible, and then let's learn. Father, we do thank you so much that we can gather on this 4th of July in the freedom that we have in this country and in the freedom that we have in Christ. To hear his word, to read his word, to meditate on his word, to apply his word to our lives that we might live lives that glorify you and serve you and spread your gospel. And we do pray, Lord, now as we open your word to consider it that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit, who is active, who is at work in our hearts, Lord, that you would convict, that you would teach, that you would transform us to be more like him. In his name we pray, amen. Well, as it is a joy to be with you. Carol's with me this time. She couldn't be here last time, but um, we just really enjoy coming to Clarksville. And... Um, uh, we are missionaries in Spain, in Madrid, Spain. We live in Madrid, though we've been in Nashville for six months now, but we only have two weeks left before we return to Madrid. We return on July 20th, and uh, we've had a great uh, sabbatical or home missions assignment or furlough, whatever you want to call it, but uh, we're eager. We're really eager to get back to Madrid, our home, and... Uh, continue in the ministry that God has given us there. Um, I thank you for the opportunity to preach these two times that I've been here, and I, I'd also just really, Carol and I both really thank you from the bottom of our hearts for your faithful prayers and financial support over these many years. I've been a part in one way or another of this church from almost from the very beginning, from when you were meeting at uh, Austin P. I was here when the church was particularized under that big oak tree out there a number of years ago. And even though we're far away, we, we feel a part of this body. And so thank you. And uh, I just, just a joy to be here. Um, as we've, uh, so we're going to look at Psalm 126. If you want to open your Bible, or are we going to have it on the... I don't know if we're going to have it on the screen. Uh, yes, okay. So let's read Psalm 126. It's a short psalm. Uh, it's poetry, so it's... We'll get into that. Okay. <laughs> a song of ascents. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Um, 
This psalm is about learning to trust God in difficult times. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, hard times and how to deal with hard times. Um, I've been meditating a lot on the psalms in the last six months or so, choosing different psalms, asking the Lord to speak to me uh, about how to walk through difficult times, not particularly because I'm going through difficult times, but I just know that in life we all go through difficult times, and it's good to learn from the scriptures how to keep our minds and our hearts focused on God even when we're going through difficult times. So that's what I want to speak about this morning. Um, I want us to learn to trust God more deeply by meditating on his word, by seeing how we can find strength, we can find hope, we can find encouragement, even, though, even when we go through difficult times. I first started meditating on this psalm and some others on this theme back when we were in the middle of the pandemic. I was, we were in Madrid, the sirens were going off a lot, a lot of people were being carried to the hospital, and I was very aware that we were going through very difficult times. Now we're kind of starting, maybe, <laughs> to move past that, and maybe we're not so weighted down by the difficult times, but nevertheless, it's a good thing to meditate on. It's a good thing to think about, to learn how we can grow, how, how we can even prosper when we go through hard times. So maybe you're facing a hard time, maybe you're not. I think there's something here in this psalm for us regardless. A little background. Um, like many psalms, we don't know who the author was. Could have been David. Could have been, could have not been. Could have been someone else. I mean, it was, it was somebody. That's the thing that's important to remember. Uh, and God in his providence has caused this short psalm to be included in his word. Um, the thing I want to call your attention to at the beginning here is verse 4, which says, which mentions, uh, it says, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. The Negev was a desert, southernmost part of Judah, dry, arid land, uh, and there for most of the year, there was no rain, it was arid, the riverbeds were all dry. Um, and so the desert is kind of a symbol of a lack of joy, a lack of uh, being fruitful, a lack of, uh, um, of, of yeah, rejoicing. But then what would happen in the Negev is a sudden downpour would come. And almost overnight, there would spring up flowers and plants uh, because the water would just enable these seeds to germinate and instantly almost, I mean, just a couple of days, there could be uh, little, little plants. And, and so the, the desert is a symbol of sadness, of struggle, of hardship, of difficulty. But then in this psalm, the flowers that, that sprout up are a symbol of joy and happiness and rejoicing after a time of sorrow. So the fortunes that the psalmist is praying for here in verse 4 are what he... That's what he thinks about, and he's thinking about how happy he will be 
like a desert is when it suddenly springs into, into flower. Um, I want to focus our attention particularly on verses 5 and 6. So let's read them again. It says, Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. In this verse, we see our theme, the theme that I want to focus on this morning. It's this metaphor in which sorrow, which is represented by tears, are like seed, which when sown properly, can, can produce joy. Okay, let me say that again. This metaphor, represented by, the, the, uh, by tears, are like seed, which when sown properly, may or can produce joy, a harvest of joy. Um, when you're going through a hard time, it's natural to begin to ask why. And you'd like to think that your suffering, your hardship, has some purpose. That there's some good that's going to come out of it. Going through difficult times without learning, without growing, without some benefit, some fruitfulness is, is, is frustrating. And so when you're going through hardship, you begin to ask questions, don't you? Why am I going through this? What did I do to deserve this? Uh, why do I have to be sick so much? Why do I have so much problems in my job? Why did I lose my job? I didn't do anything wrong. Um, uh, why is my marriage so miserable? Why is she like that? Why is he like that? Why can't he change? Why can't she change? Uh, why did he leave me? Why did she leave me? These are some of the challenges and the difficulties that we face. But the psalmist says that this suffering, this sorrow, this hardship, this difficulty can lead to joy if we learn how to walk through it. Okay? So now, again, focusing on verses 5 and 6, what can we learn from these verses about how to walk through hardship? And I've got... Um, Three quick points, uh, and the third point has three subpoints. So there's, <laughs> if you're taking notes, <laughs> actually the main part of the sermon is under point three, and that's where you have the least amount of space to write, but it's all right. First point is, it's possible to experience hard times, pain, suffering, discouragement, and not learn a dead gum thing. It's possible to go through pain and hardship and not learn anything. It's possible to waste or miss a lesson when you go through hardship. Not benefit, not grow, not be transformed. Um, sticking with the seed metaphor, you know, um, you probably all sowed grass seed, right? So you go out with your bag of grass seed and there's a hole in the bag, and you dump the whole bag in one place. And what happens? You've got this huge patch of grass, maybe, in one little spot, but there's no, there's no productivity. There's, no, there's not the effect that you want. You, you don't have a nice green lawn. Or another metaphor uh, 
I was thinking about when I was first meditating on this back in the winter, it's like you could also be carrying a bag of salt, right? And you're, gonna, you're supposed to spread the salt around to melt the ice, but there's a hole in the bag and you dump all the salt in one place. You know, doesn't produce the desired effect. You don't get rid of the ice. Uh, or back again to the seed metaphor, you, there's no harvest. There's, if it's wheat and you're supposed to go out with the bag of wheat and spread it broadly so that you have a big wheat harvest, there's no harvest. There's, and therefore, there's no rejoicing. So um, that's possible to happen. We can go through sadness. We can go through difficulty. We can go through pain and suffering in such a way that it doesn't produce any new life in us, doesn't transform us. You just kind of muddle through. You just kind of get through it. Um, but you, you don't change. Maybe, maybe you... Maybe you get angry. Maybe you have resentment. Maybe you have self-pity. Maybe you're whipping yourself. But there's no good benefit, no fruit, no positive consequence. And I think this is important because one of the evidences of a true Christian, or of, at least of a, a maturing Christian, is it's someone who has learned to deal with difficulty and grow through it, mature through it persevere through it and not just persevere with your teeth gritted but persevere and have a have a positive benefit or effect in your life so there is such a thing as sorrow and grief that doesn't end and doesn't produce a good thing a good benefit so that's the first thing we don't necessarily always grow from our tears and sorrows and struggles but the second idea Second point is that it is actually possible for hard times to produce joy. It is actually possible for the hard times, the sorrow, the difficulty, whatever it is, to produce joy. Now, of course, most people hope that hard times won't last forever and will turn into good, right? That joy will, will follow. We have that in the Bible, Psalm 30, verse 5 says, Weeping may tarry for the night, but, okay, what? Joy, sorry, I stuck a little Spanish in there. Joy comes in the morning. And most of us think, yes, I'm very sad, but it's going to pass. I'm hoping that God will bring joy when my sadness passes. But this psalm, Psalm 126, actually goes beyond that. It says, uh, verse 6 is saying, not just that joy will follow sorrow, but that sorrow can actually produce joy. That's what I want us to focus on. It can actually produce happiness, produce rejoicing deep in your heart. What this means is that even while you're sowing the seed, even while you're experiencing the sadness and the grief and the hardship, we can actually be in the process of becoming happier, becoming more joyful, uh, deeper, people in the long run, but it depends on us responding in a proper way. Uh, and that's, that's what I want to focus on in, in the third point here, that we have to learn how to walk through hardship in such a way that it produces a positive effect in our lives. Uh, and we can do that. I'm not sure how much the psalmist understood, but we can do that because we live on this side of the cross and as Christians, 
we can look to Jesus when we walk through hardship. Jesus is the ultimate example of someone who went through the ultimate hardship, the ultimate difficulty, and he brought joy out of that. Um, his agony, think about him on the cross, his agony, his crying out, his suffering, was actually substitutionary agony, substitutionary crying out, substitutionary pain and grief and sorrow on our behalf as he stood in our place. He took our punishment, his weeping and his agony and his grief and his sorrow was on our behalf. So we can look to him there on the cross, dying, and he did that so that we could live. So when I see him going through that incredible agony and pain and sorrow, I can say, he did that for me. He can take me through it as well. And we need to learn to do that. So the point is that in your sorrow, in your grief, in your pain, we can learn to turn our eyes to him. It's actually what we just sang about in that song, It Is Well With My Soul. That's exactly what verse 2 was talking about. If you didn't catch that, you should go back and look at it. So, thirdly, let's now look at the benefits of looking to Jesus when you go through hard times. And as I said, this is where we're going to drill down a little bit and see some real practical benefits of turning our eyes on Jesus when we go through hardship. Um, what are the benefits of sowing tears that lead to joy? What are the actual benefits of turning our eyes to Jesus? Well, when I think of him suffering for me, I realize, first of all, that I don't have to suffer in guilt. I don't have to suffer in guilt. I don't have to sit there and say, well, I'm probably going through this because God is punishing me. I'm probably going through this because I'm really not a very good Christian. And I, I probably deserve it. You know, I probably deserve God to do something bad to me because I'm really not a very good person. But we can know, if our eyes are on Jesus, that God is not punishing me because he's already punished his son in our place. Our punishment has already been meted out onto Jesus. I mean, Isaiah 53, 4. We all know, probably, hopefully, Isaiah 53. Surely he, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And yes, he has. He's done that. So you can cast your eyes upon him, take them off of yourself, turn them onto him and say, Jesus suffered on my behalf. That's substitutionary atonement. Secondly, what's another benefit? I don't have to suffer in self-pity and anger. It's a natural response, isn't it, to suffering? Anger. When I'm tempted to say, I don't deserve this, I didn't do anything, how could God have possibly allowed this to happen to me? It's not, what? Fair. It's not fair. I don't deserve this. But I can instead say, wait a minute, Jesus suffered more than I did so that I could one day live with him forever. It wasn't fair to him in a big way. It may not be fair to me, but there's another guy 
my Savior who has been treated with the ultimate unfairness. And that moves me past my sorrow. That moves me past my self-pity, my anger, my resentment, and it moves me to wonder. It moves me to praise. It, me, it moves me to, to thanksgiving for what he's done for me. Um, let me give you a, a, an example. Carol and I have a friend in Nashville, um, a woman who is suffering with brain cancer. She's uh, had this cancer now, what, three, four years, something like that. I mean, it's been a long battle. And um, she, uh, it's a losing battle. She knows she's going to die, uh, just a matter of when. Um, I learned the other week that she is soon to enter hospice care. And yet, she and her husband, who cares for her, continue to receive visitors in their home. The neighbors come by. Many of them are not Christians. She prays for them. She, she encourages them. She reads scriptures with them. She, she invites them into her home. She has a ministry of hospitality while she has brain cancer and is, is, uh, is going downhill. And she's been doing this for months. It's amazing. How does she do that? Where does she get the inner resources to give herself away to others when she's dying of brain cancer? It's because her eyes are not on herself. Her eyes are not focused on herself. She's not filled with resentment and self-pity. She's looking to Jesus. Is she suffering? Absolutely. But she's not drawing all the attention to herself. There's no anger. There's no resentment. There's no self-pity. And then a third way we can, a third benefit of turning your eyes to Jesus in the midst of suffering is that you can suffer in patience. Why? Because you know it's not the end. This life is not the end. You know, um, think about the disciples. They didn't understand why Jesus was going to the cross. They said, how can God possibly bring any good out of this? Our, our friend, our teacher, our rabbi, going to the cross, how can that be a good thing? And yet it was. He was resurrected. It was a good thing. They didn't know that. All they saw was evil. Also, all they saw was the murder, the execution of their teacher and, and friend and, and, and uh, savior. So sometimes we don't know why God is taking us through something, but he can give us and will give us, if we turn our eyes to Jesus, patience to believe in faith that God does have a purpose in it even though we don't know what it is. A um, couple of examples. Carol and I have another friend in Nashville. This woman is a, a medical doctor. Um, due to an accident about 15 years ago, while she was doing her internship, she wrenched her back while she, she was a, a, a radiologist. She was wearing one of those heavy um, lead jackets, and she wrenched her back, and it put her in a wheelchair for 15 years. It ended her medical um, studies and career. And, I mean, we used to see her at church at Christ Pres. Um, you know, every Sunday stretched out in this awkward position in this wheelchair. 
Did she know why that happened? Absolutely not. Now, amazingly, and I know this doesn't always happen, she, about three years ago, was completely healed. And, I mean, now she does aerobics. Now she's, uh, she went back and finished medical school at 48, 49, 50 years old, and is now a practicing doctor. During all those years, she took a lot of medicine, a lot of pain relievers. She almost got addicted. Guess what? Now, as a result of that experience, there are many aspects of her medical practice which she would never have entered into if she'd not gone through that pain and difficulty. One aspect, for example, is helping people get off of addicting uh, prescription drugs, just for example. So, you know, she can look back now and see that God had purpose in her suffering, but she didn't know it at the time. She had to trust. She had to believe that God had a purpose for her even in the midst of her suffering. And she learned to turn her eyes to Jesus in the midst of that. Another example, let me take the focus off of uh, physical suffering for a moment because this principle doesn't only apply to, to physical suffering. Uh, our work of uh, sharing the gospel in Madrid, in Spain, in Europe, is not easy. Uh, Spain is uh, a very resistant country. Europe in general is a secular environment, and Spain in particular is one of the most resistant countries in Europe. It's slow work. It's often discouraging. People are resistant. They, are, they scoff at us sometimes. They uh, ridicule us. Uh, they, they, they don't open their doors to us. Uh, they don't, they're not friendly to us. A lot of times, not always, I'm not saying we have a miserable experience there, but we do get discouraged because it's hard, slow work. There's a reason why the, the Protestant evangelical church is not flourishing in Spain. But, but, we believe God is calling people to himself, and we've seen him do this. We've seen people open their hearts and their lives to the gospel and be transformed by the gospel. Um, we've seen the gospel change lives. Uh, that's why we pray, and that's why we're going back there to continue working, and we've been there for 15 years. So we believe that the struggle is worth it. Why? Because we have the promise of the, of the gospel, the promise of God, that God is calling men and women from every tribe and tongue and nation to know him. And he will do it. He is doing it. He gives us enough to keep us going, and he will do it. So God has a purpose in our trials and our struggles. It's not easy. It's not always fun. But God has a purpose in it, and he's bringing people to know him. Um, so, um, in conclusion, let me just sum up. When I see Jesus suffering for me, it helps me deal with my sense of guilt and anger. It helps me get rid of my anger and self-pity. And it helps me become more patient. Three practical benefits of turning my eyes to Jesus in the midst of hardship. And then, you know what happens? One day you realize, hey, I'm more patient than I used to be. I'm learning to lean on him. Um, I'm a changed person. God is transforming me. 
there's a New Testament verse that really sums up what uh, I'm saying this morning. Let me just read it to you. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 and 17. The Apostle Paul says, in the midst of his challenges to, to preach the gospel, he says, so we do not lose heart. Why? Because though our outer self is wasting away, okay, that's the struggle, that's the hardship, that's the difficulty, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So, here's the question for you. Are you allowing your struggles to help you turn your eyes to Jesus? To prepare you for joy, for happiness, for eternity? Jesus was the ultimate example of this. Are you learning from him in the midst of your hardship? If you watch him suffering for you, if you turn your eyes to him, when you're grieving, when you're hugely disappointed, your sorrows will not be wasted. You won't just get through them. You'll be transformed by them. And I think the hymn writer got it right. This, this hymn we're going to sing in a minute, Bringing in the Sheaves, I know it's an old hymn. Maybe it's uh, too well known. But the hymn writer, Noel Shaw, wrote uh, in verse 3, Going forth with weeping, sowing for the Master, though the loss sustained, our spirit often grieves. When our weeping's over, he will bid us welcome. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. That's the joy. That's the rejoicing. That's the happiness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, which gives us this encouragement this morning. We do pray, Lord, for anyone and everyone here who's going through any kind of hardship, that you would encourage them and help them to turn their eyes to you in the midst of that difficulty, that you might produce in them, in each one of us, rejoicing and happiness and security and patience. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.